good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website, which is www.theorganicview.com. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, you can simply post your question on our wall on Facebook, send us a tweet to at the Organic View, or contact me directly at June Stoyer on Twitter. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, one of the most trusted names in certified organic clean foods. Listeners of the Organic View Radio Show can receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. Simply enter the coupon code ORGVIEW when prompted during checkout. That's ORGVIEW. For more special offers, please visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. Now that it is summer, people are taking advantage of the warm weather and spending as much time as they can outdoors. In many parks, fields, and even in your own backyard, there are poisonous plants such as poison ivy that are growing and pose a serious problem. On today's show, invasive species expert Dr. Douglas Tallamy will talk about what you need to know about poison ivy. So I'd like to welcome back to the show, Dr. Tallamy. Good afternoon and welcome back. It is so nice to have you. It's, it, the last time that you were on, you were talking about your book, Bringing Nature Home. Well, thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Tallamy, do you have a new book that you'd like to share with our listeners? Actually, we do uh, have a book out with with uh, Rick Dark, uh, Timber Press, called The Living Landscape, just out, released June 11th. Well, I look forward to having you on the show to talk about the new book. I'm sure many of our listeners are excited that you have another wonderful book out. And I have to say, Bringing Nature Home was a wealth of information, and there was so much that I learned from it. And I think especially with the focus on the environment and people paying attention to native species and the dangers of having this imbalance in the ecosystem, people are starting to come around. Dr. Tellamy, could you please share with our listeners a little bit about poison ivy and why it has been such a widespread problem? Well, poison ivy is, is a native plant. Uh, it's a vine. Uh, it uh, does well in shade or sun. Um, so if you, if you find an old plant, it will, it will climb up trees. You can recognize it by a very fat root that develops over time, or stem, I should say, that becomes very hairy. So there's little rootlets that come out from the stem and help it cling to a tree or a fence post. Uh, and over time, it just becomes this, this uh, mass of, of little hairy rootlets. The problem with poison ivy is that it does produce an oil that uh, causes an allergic reaction in uh, most humans. A lot of people say, oh, I don't get poison ivy. I often don't believe that. Usually it means you haven't, haven't been exposed to it or been exposed to it frequently enough. And sometimes your exposure can uh, increase the reaction over time or actually decrease the reaction over time. I know I, I get poison ivy every year. I've had it every year since I was five years old. Uh, and it's itchy and causes little welts. But the biggest defense against poison ivy is to recognize what it looks like so that you can avoid it. Most people actually get poison ivy when they're in the process of trying to remove it. So uh, tolerating it is, is one important defense. It's, it's um, 
It's not going to jump out and, and bite you if you just learn to avoid it. That's the safest route. It has three leaves. In the fall, it does turn a, a beautiful red. But uh, during the, the spring and the summer, uh, it's, it's green. So uh, don't look for red at those, those times. Um, so it's not the only plant with three leaves, but if you if you see a plant with three leaves, um, you might suspect that it's poison ivy. It's it's quite common. A lot of people go through their lives not realizing that it's around them in many of the places they they go and frequent, uh, but because they're not touching it, they they don't get it. You have to get the oil on your your skin. So touching it with gloves is okay, but of course the oil can then transfer to the gloves, and then if you touch the gloves later on. That, uh, that can be a problem. And of course, some people are really sensitive and they have to be more careful than, than others. Now, if you do pull out poison ivy with gloves and say you don't use those gloves for a period of time and you pick them up again and say, you know, you touch the outside of the gloves, <laughs> can you get poison ivy from, from touching them? Yes, you can. The, the, the oil is very persistent. You knew you're going to go out and play with poison ivy. I would get a, a dedicated pair of gloves, um, and after you, you know, you're through with them, then then wash them. Um, or, you know, that's a problem as well. The oil is is an organic compound, and it really takes another organic compound like alcohol to dissolve it and get rid of it. But you can get the, the oil from the leaves. Don't have to be at it. You can get it from a stem that you're clipping during the winter time. So that's the hardest time to recognize it because uh, there are no leaves. It's pretty persistent. Again, I, I, I can't emphasize enough that the, the main defense is really to avoid it altogether. It's spread by birds. Um, there are pluses and minuses to, to every plant that's out there. Uh, the big plus to poison ivy, believe it or not, is that it makes berries in the fall that are among the most nutritious berries that, that bird migrants can, can find. They're very high in fats, and that's what the birds are looking for while they're migrating to Central and South America. So it's a valuable food source for migrating birds. And of course, they, they digest the fruit around the seed and then poop the seed out wherever they are. So that's how it, it moves around. If you're trying to get rid of it, just you know, tugging it and pulling it will break off that main stem, but it leaves the roots underground. So that will that will solve an immediate problem short term, but it will come back, and it's very difficult to kill those those roots uh, underground. Um, unfortunately, you know the only thing that 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 persistently works is a, a strong herbicide, and of course that you know that's got a lot of problems associated with it too. But uh, hot water or vinegar or these other solutions will kill the the above ground plant, but they're not going to get the underground plant and um, and it persists. It, it's it's an issue. I've heard from some people that they claim that they've had success using an eyedropper on the stem and using straight vinegar. That could work if you have just a few stems, but most poison ivy infestations are, are pretty extensive. And of course, if you get if you get a big plant, um, it has quite a root system. So <laughs> maybe a bottle of vinegar, but <laughs> A single little eyedropper. You've got to get enough material that's translocated back down to the roots to to do the job. So yeah, for small jobs uh, that could work, but um, most of the time poison ivy's it's numerous enough that that uh, that would be quite a job. 
Now, recently I discovered that I have a vast amount of poison ivy on my property, and now that I've learned to identify it, especially in the early spring when the leaves resemble, I guess, more of a holly with the pointed leaves and the reddish color, I realized that I have mowed this stuff down in parts mm. of uh, on parts of the grass. So uh, is it just that it can grow anywhere or does it have a particular place that it likes to grow? Does it like to grow with, say, English ivy, which I have an abundance of as well? No, I think it's in your English ivy just by, by chance. Um, it will grow among uh, all kinds of plants. Uh, it likes to climb, so it, it does well on, on edges. If you have a, a, a forest that's turning into a field, that's often the place you'll find poison ivy where it's it's sunny. Um, it can it can form it can form a ground cover in more shaded areas where it's spreading at, seeking light. If you persistently mow, if you've had a patch of, of poison ivy in a field and you persistently mow that, um, over time you will kill it because all plants need to have have their their uh, you know, leaves and green material catching the energy from the sun. And if you cut that down repeatedly, eventually it will die. Uh, but that much exposure to poison ivy almost always leads leads to trouble. So um, I'll bet, my guess is, that you always had poison ivy on your, your farm and just didn't know it. Um, I really had no idea. I remember up at my parents' farmhouse, we had poison ivy and my father got rid of it. How we got rid of it, I don't know. But on my home environment, we've never had it. So, you know, learning about how the birds poop out the seeds was quite interesting. And especially since I do have a lot of English ivy on the border of the property and I do have a lot of pine trees. It was just quite interesting that I took a trip to Fort Treon. I was taught about it there. And then lo and behold, I recognize it on my own home environment. And now I'm seeing it everywhere. And it's just amazing. It's almost like, oh, wow, look, there's poison ivy. And I'm just happy that I've never fallen into it. I've never brushed up against it. And now I have the ability to recognize it. So I keep away from it. But I'm also kind of mortified at the fact that it is so invasive. Now, one thing that I'd like to ask you in regards to the identification process, I actually had a little bit of a hard time recognizing whether or not the plants were poison ivy. I know that Virginia creeper is a plant that apparently they say if you have Virginia creeper, most likely you'll find poison ivy. And with Virginia creeper, it's got, I do believe, five leaves, whereas the poison right. ivy has the three leaves. One of the things that I'd like to ask you is, I understand that there are two leaves that are closely joined together, and then the third leaf has a little bit of a leg, and that is one of the key identifying factors in order to properly identify poison ivy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a good description, uh, but, but the easiest thing is three versus five. I mean, uh, Virginia creeper always has five leaves. and Yes. And poison ivy always has three. There are some other, you know, some other uh, species with three leaves, but but not that many. So when you've got three leaves coming off a viney plant, um, chances are very good that it is poison ivy. Does poison ivy have thorns? No, okay, thorns so that's poison that's, ivy. 
And another question is in regards to the leaf itself. I noticed that on one particular plant, I have what they refer to as the mittens. The two top leaves have the shape of what appears to be mittens, and then the third leaf is kind of straight. So can you elaborate a little bit more about the identification process? Um, you know, plant leaves are more variable than people like to recognize. The leaf shape changes a little bit, whether it's in the shade or the sun. Sometimes there's little lobes like the mittens you're describing, but sometimes there's not. Um, the age of the leaf also changes the shape a little bit, or the age of the plant, I should say. So a plant um, that is very young often has uh, leaves that are a little bit different from a plant that is, is quite a bit older. You see that very very clearly with your English ivy, where the young plants have um, the distinct ivy leaves, but as you get a mature plant, the leaves become rounded and you almost don't recognize it. So uh, that variability is going to make a, a distinct description a little a little tough. But they're they're always pointed. They don't have a lot of serration on the edge of the leaf, a little bit, but not too much. And you've got coming out the one in the middle. It can be a fairly large leaf sometimes, sometimes as big as a Norway maple leaf, usually smaller, but uh, it's not tiny. And also, what about the shine? I've noticed yeah, that some, spe- yeah. some, some plants have a sheen on the leaf and others are kind of dull. I, I, it, it's almost like it's a master of disguise. Yeah, the, that shine is a waxy coating. Uh, that actually, if for those who do choose to use herbicide, something like Roundup, it, it makes it difficult to penetrate onto the leaf because of that waxy coating. You always have to use a surfactant to break through it, and it's got to be a strong surfactant because because poison ivy is waxier than most plants. It's un- uncommonly waxy. Uh, and again, uh, it's, it's leaves mostly in the sun that uh, have uh, a lot of, of wax as they move into the leaves, into the shade, then uh, it's less waxy. But Compared with other plants, it, the, it's, it's quite a strong wax on the leaf surface, and that does give it that shiny look. And one of the listeners wrote in that there is a companion plant to poison ivy that is actually the antidote. Is that true, that, that where oh. poison ivy grows, you can find the antidote? Um, often. That's called jewelweed. Um, jewelweed is a common plant in, in uh, wetter areas, so if you have a little swampy area, you get you get your weed. It's a, it's a, a member of the impatience uh, group of plants, and hummingbirds love the flowers. So I'm sure everybody's seen the little orange flowers that come up uh, later in the summer. It's a stem that can be two or three feet high, and it's easily crushed in your hands. And as you move down towards the base of the plant, there's a swelling that's reddish, and that swelling contains another oil that uh, actually can dissolve the poison ivy. If you get poison ivy oil on you, it can dissolve it and help you wash it away. So if you're out in nature and you know that you, you know, you've just uh, stepped in poison ivy, you don't have anything to, to deal with it, and there's uh, jewelweed around, then you, you take a few stems, crush the bottom of the plant where the, you have that red swollen area, and rub it all over the exposed area where you got the poison ivy. Uh, and then wash it all off with water, that often works. It really does work. You're dissolving the oil and getting rid of it with an organic solvent that happens to be in the jewelweed. Thank you. Now, one thing that I would like to discuss is some of the myths about poison ivy, the removal. One mm-hmm. in particular is people are recommending that you burn 
the plants using some sort of um, portable plant. It's like a burner, a little Mm -hmm. uh, propane tank that you can burn invasive species with. And from what I understand, that is not a good idea. Uh, Yeah, that that creates smoke, which is carrying the oil away. So that can (laughs) – yeah, you don't want to breathe that. And it also doesn't really kill the plant. You know, it'll kill, again, it'll kill the above ground parts, but doesn't get the root. You can't burn it underground. So it'll come back. So it's not a permanent solution. And it does, it does turn uh, the plant into smoke and soot and ash that floats away. And if that gets on you, that, that can be a problem. Especially if it gets in your lungs. From what I've yeah. been, what I've been learning, many firefighters have issues with this very problem when there is wood that is burning in a fire that happens to have poison ivy wrapped around it somehow. So that's that's been a big, very big problem that the firefighters deal with. But in general, once again, I can't stress it enough: do not burn this stuff, folks. One last question: a number of people have commented that they use bleach. Does bleach or any of these household remedies work? Never tried it. Bleach is nasty stuff, so I wouldn't be surprised if it killed it. Um, Again, I'm concerned you've got to get something that the plant is translocating down into the roots, and I bet I'm not sure if that would work with bleach because uh, it probably kills the, the area of the plant above ground so fast that it's not translocating anything. But as I said, I haven't tried it. Maybe maybe that would work. Dr. Talley, thank you so much for your time. Can you share with our listeners your website? Uh, bringingnaturehome.net. Thank you. And one more time, can you just remind our listeners about the new book's title so that they can pick up a copy and when you come back on the show again, learn more about the book? Okay, I'd be happy to. It's called The Living Landscape uh, with Rick Dark. And it's... Uh, Rick Dark is a is a uh, he's a botanist and and comes from the world of horticulture, uh, and I'm essentially an entomologist and an ecologist, and we combine the two areas of expertise to to talk about how people can can do exactly that, create living landscapes at home that are comprised of of uh, beautiful plants, layered plants that create vertical habitat as well as horizontal habitat, and we you know we're trying to dispel the Many of the, the myths associated with using uh, native plants that they're, you know, they have to be messy and wild and ugly and, and uh, none of that's really true. So this book is dedicated to showing how you can get a lot more plants into your, your landscape and they can be productive plants and support uh, a lot of the life around you and still remain beautiful and manicured. Well, folks, we are out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, everyone.